Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I interview founders, entrepreneurs, executives, thought leaders, artists, you name it, in the world of crypto and blockchain all around the world. And I have an amazing guest. I know this because I spoke to him back in April 2021 when I first started out podcasting. He is an amazing guest, and his name is Cyrus Tagheshian. He is the founder and CEO of ShopX. Cyrus, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me back, Jamil. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm excited to have you back. Um, so it's been three years, right? So let's let's first ask you what your background is, and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had quite the career, uh, but that's what makes it uh, really exciting and unique of what I could offer a value back to society. Uh, so my background, I started uh, in finance, uh, doing collateral debt obligations, mortgage-backed securities in the secondary mortgage market. Um, so I have a finance background. I pivoted my career uh, to tech, working at Deloitte Consulting. I did enterprise um, technical implementations for web content management systems and digital marketing systems. So think e-commerce and digital marketing at large. Um, and uh, you know, throughout that time period, I got a, a college degree in economics minor in informatics, which is kind of like computer science. Uh, so I am technical. Um, and then I was getting an MBA, had a 4.0, but I dropped out uh, to start the first version of ShopX. You know, that's you've heard that story before, right? <laughs> um, and ever since, uh, so 2014, I got into Bitcoin. Um, you know, I, I'm a, I like to pick up new technologies and tinker with them and see what's all the fuss is about and how I could apply that into different aspects of my business or my offering for my businesses. And in 2016, uh, I basically really understood blockchain and decentralization. And I dedicated my life's purpose to building decentralization tech specifically for e-commerce to help small, medium businesses survive in a landscape that's really dominated by big tech, big corporations, um, and help them build um, you know, these different types of technologies and experiences that they could pass on to their customers and build a living. So um, you know, break out of the matrix type of stuff. <laughs> I like to break out of the matrix. That sounds good. Um, so you're you're when we spoke three years ago, you had started a, a, another company, but you're at ShopX the CEO now. What what's changed over the past three years? Well, uh, our tech is live, and we have uh, a lot of clients, and it's successful. That's that's a big change. Um, so at the time, we were kind of just like in like alpha phase. It was like very early still kind of experimenting and pivoting what ShopX was going to be in the market. Um, the ideas were there. Um, and then, you know, I've also changed a lot as a leader, as a um, entrepreneur and, and founder, uh, really taking more, stepping more into my capitalistic mindset, but still holding the empathy and having that duality exist in me and finding that fine line of how do you add value, but also still make money for, you know, the team, myself, my company, um, I, I think that's a journey that a lot of entrepreneurs go through because, you know, especially like, you know, with myself, I wanted to change the world, change, you know, to make it a better place. You know, sometimes you put the money aside and or it's not, you know, top of one priority or you don't know how to monetize what you're looking to do. So, you know, being able to thread the needle between the two um, and build a successful product. And, you know, one thing I can say is that we've also survived the past three years. I can't say that about a lot of companies and, you know, friends that I've had, you know, you know, I pray for them, but 
you know, I mean that in a nice way too. It's 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 very tough to build a company and survive, especially it doesn't even matter if it's in crypto, right, or blockchain, in any type of company. So the fact that you know I'm back on here and the company's still doing well, I'm really grateful for that. I think you coined a phrase talking about that um, a few years ago: whole holotoc holotocracy. Yeah, holocracy. Yeah, where you're trying to to navigate that space between the the capitalism and the um social good yeah right yeah so what have you learned in that in that duality uh, quite a bit um and, and the first thing it starts with is it starts with your mind and your thoughts it really it that zaps a lot of your energy when you're like overthinking things or whatever and i had a lot of ego and part of my ego was you know um, especially being in the crypto space you know people i didn't want people to think that i was just trying to do a cash grab or make money, you know, cause I did have an altruistic and I did lead with my heart. So trying to spend a lot of energy protecting that image took away and robbed me from actually doing the things that I wanted to do for the community and also making money. Right. So I had to work on myself a lot and release those egos. I had a lot of ego deaths. Um, I did a lot of it through meditation, through oming, um, through a lot of groundwork, breath work, um, so I, I could talk a lot about that stuff later on if, if you're interested, but that, that was a lot of work that I did on that. Um, in fact, I still meditate five times a week. I carve out that time just so I could get that clarity. And it's all about release as an entrepreneur, you take on a lot of energy, um, good and bad. And as a human being, you know, we're electrical beings and it's like, okay, well, if I take on that electricity and energy, how do I get it out of my system? But then I also need to take on new ones and let it all out. So it's this like really nice cycle that you could build. And if you could find that rhythm as an entrepreneur, you do great. So the things I did was groundwork. So get out to the beach, put my feet in the sand because your feet, this has been scientifically proven, will offboard electricity out of you into earth, right? So um, great. Gary Brecka, Dr. Joe Dispenza, a few doctors have done a lot of work on this if anybody's interested to look into them. Um, speaking out loud when you're meditating, like I do a lot of ohm work, like chanting, oh, and I, I'll say that 36 times or 108 times. There's numbers and there's reasons why you do it that way. But I let all that energy out. And after doing that for like, it only takes 15 minutes. So I'm not doing this for like six hours a day. You know, I, I got a business to run. But, um, you know, just taking 15, 20 minutes out of your day, doing that stuff kind of clears you and you get this clarity. You feel so much better. So when you hit the ground and in running into your work day, you're like, all right, I see things clearly. I'm not trying to, you know, make a perception about myself. I'm leading with my heart. My mind is there to protect me and my heart and what I'm building and ensure that, you know, I'm, you know, taking off the boxes of making money and keeping, make sure that the company is going forward. But at the same time, my heart's leading by building a product for the customer. And here, here, here's the one big difference, Jamil. I'll say this: this is this could be good for any listener out there that's looking to build a business. Is that um, a lot of times, and I've done this, and I've been guilty of this at ShopX or even previous companies, is that you build a product and it's really cool tech, and you think it's awesome, and people are going to use it. But then you know, it's like, oh crap! Now I got to fill this tech that I built that's really cool, by the way, into a solution that people need. Right? So I'm working backwards, but I could tell you now. This last year in 2024, my mindset is I talk to customers first before I build anything. I understand what they're looking for. And I make sure that the demographic is big enough and it's just not one person. And then I attack that because then now I know I have a customer base, a community, 
and I'm actually providing a real life solution for them. And then I come back with the execution, which I've been able to prove over the years, but it's like, hey, it's that other, it's the way, it's the sequence of what you do it, right? Instead of going out and building the tech and then going selling it, you sell it first and then you build the tech to make sure that what you're, you're, what you're selling is, um, is exactly the right solution for what people are looking for. That makes the world of sense to me. And I've been saying that for years to people when they, <laughs> they look at me funny. I'm like, don't just build something, talk to the end user. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, so that leads into my next question is why is a customer centric approach to entrepreneurship a critically important approach in today's ever shifting consumer market? Yeah. You, I'll, I'll say one word, and it might be a funny word that I'm going to say this defensible revenue stream because when you find your customer and you're making a customer centric you're going to find a core group of people and again the pie could be small or big it depends on how however you want to build your business if you want it to be lifestyle if you want to exit for a billion dollars you got to you got to make sure those numbers line up accordingly but you know people have their own goals and their own visions and dreams for their life. So make sure that it just corresponds. But if you find that core group of users and you cater to them, they will create a defensible revenue stream, meaning that you have that money coming in through your product that you're building. And it's a value exchange. And it's not just them giving you money, but you're you're solving a real world problem for them, which is why they give you the money and they'll continue to give you the money. If you have that as an entrepreneur in this space, when everything's constantly changing, it gives you the ability to have a buffer and breathing room to be able to do game theory, business intelligence, think ahead, talk to other people, experiment on other products or services that you could then come out and build while still maintaining the business that you're operating right now. If you don't cater to those people through a customer-centric mindset, you're constantly going to be out of cash, looking to pivot, raise money or whatever it is. And that's not where you want to be as an entrepreneur. You're always going to be on your heels and you're always going to feel like you know the sky is falling. However, if you're a customer-centric mindset and you're going after that core group of users and you have those users and you're servicing them properly with good products, good customer service, and you're honest with them, then you gives you that breathing room and that and that foundation to be able to um, build and scale into other parts of the business or scale within that vertical, however you want to build your business. That's why it's really important to be able to think about the customer because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are paying you, right? So make sure that you take care of them. Yeah, I was going to say you sound like Steve Jobs. <laughs> you know, that's a great comparison. I'll take that any day. <laughs> that's what Apple did, right? That's they they built the, they built this up. Uh, you know, fanatic fan base that was totally loyal to them because they they were doing the same thing you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, it's a, that you know, it just Steve Jobs is the one guy that I look up to. Honestly, I, mean, I know he did a lot of weird things and used, um, you know, like a lot of child labor overseas to make some things happen. But outside of that, like the way he thought and the way he would, you know, attack the entrepreneurship, building a business, I think he was, you know, one of the best in, in our eras um, that we could study. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I'm thinking about the economy. I'm thinking about being the customer. I'm, I'm going to put myself in the customer's shoes because I kind of overspent during holidays, right? Um, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> why? And I don't have this. My wife has it. Discretionary income, right? So why is, why is discretionary income today scarce? And how can consumers overcome the shrinking purchasing power, you know? And how can Web3 help? 
Yeah, great thing. So I need to get on your Christmas list because if if you're overspending, I want to be on that list of people receiving those gifts, man. So like maybe we should exchange stuff and then do stuff in the future. But uh, I I I I kid, I kid. Uh, but maybe not. But yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, well, I mean, it's it's a multifaceted answer because it's not just one thing that's happening that's causing people to lose their purchasing power or their discretionary income. I mean, I could point to a few things like inflation in first from when the, uh, the Federal Reserve is increasing interest rates, which makes it more difficult for banks to borrow money from the government or from the Federal Reserve. And then it makes it difficult for us to borrow money from them. So the cost of money is increasing. Um, and then on top of that, uh, the Federal Reserve and the government have been printing money, which means that they're diluting the actual how far a dollar can go. Um, and then I, like I said, I like to do business intelligence and game theory. It's like, okay, well, if that's happening, right, where, where is money, um, you know, increasing in its power, right? And, and you know, it's kind of interesting because like when we talk about money, um, do dollar, a fiat is not money, it's currency. There is a, there's a difference between a currency and money and the definition of the two. And if you don't know what the difference is, you need to look it up and learn this stuff, guys. All right. So the first thing is currency is a form of, um, I, I want to say money, a form of cash that can be used to exchange for goods and services that's issued by a central entity. <laughs> that's the definition of a currency. That is what a fiat dollar is in the US. Money is a hard commodity that's not owned by anybody per se, and it's usually just a finite number. So I look at gold as money. I look at cattle, even that sounds ridiculous, but that's how we used to live back in the day, as money. I look at Bitcoin or Web3 as money. I look at fiat as a currency. I look at loyalty points you get from a airline or a brand or whatever as currency. So make sure you understand the differences between the two. So. What's been happening is the government's printing money, the interest rates are going up, brands have been increasing prices for everything because they, they, they've been using the inflation as an excuse. Now that inflation has been kind of curbing or interest rates are coming down, they're not dropping the prices. They're still trying charging the same. You got social media brainwashing people to thinking that they need to spend their money or buy all this stuff, get into that consumer mindset. So how can we protect ourselves? A, don't believe everything you see on social media. In fact, if you could limit your exposure on social media, it's still a great tool to be connected to friends. But you know, I don't think you need more than half an hour, an hour on social media a day. If that, that's even being generous, right? If you just want to stay connected to some friends. So curb your social media. I guarantee you that will be a correlation to how much money you're spending and how much money you're saving. Uh, two, understand what the governments are doing and the Federal Reserve is doing with their... Um, with the printing of money and and inflation. And when you do see that happen, start parking your money in hard assets, real estate, Web3, such as cryptocurrencies, gold, things that cannot be controlled by a central entity are a great way to prevent you from losing your purchasing power. Now, there are times that it's good to be in cash or fiat or dollars. Um, right now hasn't been the time or this past year or two hasn't been the right time to have hold more cash or f dollars. It's been better to have real estate um, or, uh, or or these assets. Now, here's something interesting happening in 2024. It's an election year, right? So what's going to happen in an election year? Well, the Democrats want to make sure they win. The Republicans want to make sure they win. The Democrats are going to say, well, look at us. We've done a lot of things to, to clean up stuff that Trump came out and did or whatever. And look, we're, we're better for social things and all that kind of stuff. 
then the Republicans are going to say, hey, well, look, we made more money. Stock market was better. So how are the Democrats going to respond? I do. And the Federal Reserve has already said this. They're going to lower interest rates aggressively this year. I think that there's going to be a stimulus, and this is all me speculating, but I think there might be a stimulus, a small stimulus that comes out to make people feel good about the Democrats and Biden. So when all of this happens, you got to be smart. Again, business intelligence. What's going to happen when you get any type of extra cash or extra money? Put it into assets that are going to increase in value faster than the way you could earn income. The were the way that you can, um, the way that the uh, U.S. government or the Federal Reserve can print money and devalue and take away your purchasing power. They cannot take your purchasing power away from crypto. They cannot take your purchasing power away in in real estate or precious metals. So. Make sure that you park your assets into asset classes that will deflect any of the reckless behavior that could happen from the Federal Reserve government. Um, and also, you know, just make sure that you understand that social media and any TV like CNN or anything like that is just ways for them to program you to do certain things that you don't want to do. So use critical thinking. Use your own brain. Think how you want to spend your money and save your money. And if you follow those formulas, you know there isn't a one size fits all for everybody. But if you fill, follow, follow those formulas of thinking for yourself and you know thinking of okay, well if the government does this, what could happen with my money and parking in those places? I think you'll turn out to be okay. Interesting because it's interesting you say thinking for yourself because guess what? A lot of people don't. Yeah. A lot rely on influencers who have no experience in something and say, oh that person said it, so I should think that way, right? So. Let's help people. All right. I, I get your definition. I get I get your distinction definitions. And, you know, I get that you have an economics background. So why is why is the Austrian economics model of Bitcoin and gold being better than fiat? An important thing to know. And what should people know about Austrian economics that they're not thinking about right now? Mm. So the theory of money in that um yeah, I'll, I'll say the formula is uh, the money supply times the volatility of money equals the price of money times um, quantity. So MV equals PQ. And if you have this formula, you could create some interesting um, things. And what you have to understand that the money supply, if it's unchecked, could throw that equation way off. And that's really the Achilles heel of that whole um, uh, the the monetary theory of money that we're basing our economy on right now. Whereas if you're looking at Bitcoin, they're really running off of one theory, which is purchasing power. So the difference between the two, and this is where I feel like people could really educate themselves. I go get a job. This job gives me a hundred thousand dollar a year salary. I'm like, oh my god, a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money. But maybe not today. Maybe let's say even if they give me a million dollar salary, I'm like, yeah, I'm making a million dollars. I don't know how much million what a million dollars means because if they could print more money, my million dollars is going to be worth half as less if they print double the amount of money in the Merck circling supply. But that's the way this MV equals PQ formula that our current economy is running off of, which is Keynesian economics, actually. That's the that's the term for it. That's how it's running off right now. And with that that million dollars doesn't mean anything to me. However, if I went to my job and I said, okay. I'm going to negotiate 5% of revenue that's going to get paid to me or 5% of net profit that's going to get paid to me, right? That's my salary. So if the company makes more money, less money, right? I'm going to be getting compensated for my worth and what I'm bringing value into that company. And the company is going to be then looked at 
in terms of percentages across the whole money supply. Whereas if I have 5%, there is no there's no money getting printed and if it did get printed i'm still going to have 5% of the extra money that's going to get printed that way and protected that's what bitcoin does it protects you against inflation and central uh abuse of power by printing more money by even if it did happen that 5% purchasing power i have will increase my net worth by 5% so i always have that same amount of money across my peers and be able to spend that money on things that i want if i had a million dollars and the cost of buying milk went to 1.5 million dollars i know extreme example i wouldn't even be able to purchase milk but the but i'm making a million dollars sounds like a lot of money so that's why the old model of money and thinking of money could be uh take it it, it could be abused by people to make people think that, hey, you're making a hundred thousand or a million dollars. That's a lot of money. But in, re in reality, there's more money being printed into the economy, which reduces the purchasing power and what I could do with that money. Whereas in Bitcoin, that could never happen. I agree with you. I agree. Uh, makes sense. People should think think of it that way. <laughs> so thank percentages. You. Yeah. Um. And you said another word I want to follow up on. You said you said stimulus, and I, it looks like my theory of twenty twenty four is going to be wrong. So I'm interested to know about your theory of twenty twenty four. My theory was that the SEC was going to keep delaying the Bitcoin ETF approval until July or August, when it's closer to the election time, mm -hmm. and then and then the then the economy goes wild two months before the election, and then everybody votes for the incumbents. Mm -hmm. If they prove it now. And it flops a little bit, that's going to be dangerous. So, what do you what do you see as you know the appropriate time, and what do you see as the stimulus that's going to happen in case this one happens now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I do like your theory, by the way. I'm not saying you know my theory or any theory is wrong. I mean, it it, it has sound fundamentals behind what you're saying. Um, I do know from the other side of things that Grayscale and BlackRock and these other companies have. A, a massive amounts of money they want to pour into crypto legally. Now, I don't know if they're illegally accumulating um, things, you know, or or accumulating in such a way. You know, again, it's it's so hard to really pinpoint exactly what's happening, what's not happening. But I do find that I do think that the ETFs will get approved this year. I do think a few will get approved earlier than June or July. Um, one of our friends, uh, you know, in the Web three space, Anthony Papiano, he he's been a big proponent of having all the spot ETFs approved at the same time, which makes me feel like he knows something that a few of them are going to get approved before others. Why why does he keep saying that? So I do think a few are going to get approved before others, and those are the ones that pay, you know, the money, the bread to some certain regulators to ensure that they get first dibs, because there's going to be a competition between all these spot ETF providers to get more of the people to invest. But this is going to have a couple um, a couple consequences. And when I say consequences, they don't mean negative, right? It's just going to cause an effect type of thing. So the first thing is, if you're going to have a bunch of spot ETFs approved, what are they going to start doing to attract more customers? Marketing. So they're going to start marketing against each other. What is marketing going to do? It's going to increase the awareness and understanding of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies altogether. I see this a monstrous year for crypto. I do have ridiculous price predictions for Bitcoin. And I have never really gone out and said this you know, publicly, but I've been saying this more so now. A couple, couple key data points. 
um, between BlackRock and Grayscale and a few of these other companies, they said about $30 trillion is spending on the on the sidelines. Now, you have to understand they might just be saying this as posturing to make people think to go buy more Bitcoin, whatever, right? So that could all that could always be true. Do your own research, not financial advice. You're not financial advice. You get this whole game, right? Now I'm still saying it. But if $30 trillion is coming in and the current market cap of Bitcoin is $1.5 trillion, right? So we're looking at what, like a 15, 20x from where we're at right now to be able to, you know, if all the money that came in and nobody sold, that would put Bitcoin at a price prediction of like almost a million, 800K to a million, right? Now, let's say half the people sold Bitcoin to take profits or whatever. Now you're looking at a Bitcoin at 400K. No matter where you slice it, Bitcoin's going to be way over a quarter million dollars, in my opinion, by the end of next year. Um, again, not financial advice. That's just me speculating and taking some ideas and having some fun with a good friend, an old friend on, on a podcast. But I do see that as a monstrous year for crypto, especially with what's happened over the years of quantitative easing, printing of money. Our, debts, our debt in the US is out of hand. I don't think the US understands um, or the citizens understand that there's no way in hell we're going to ever be able to repay this, uh, this debt. Crazy fact. The last president to balance our treasury was Bill Clinton in the mid 90s. That's over 20 years ago. Right. And we haven't done it since. I don't think any president coming in is going to be able to do it. And in fact, we've gotten so far beyond the ability to repair. I think it's better just to hit the reset button. If the reset hit button is set, all this money we have in dollars or fiat, I don't know what's going to happen to it. I'm not saying it's going to go to zero, but I have no idea what's going to happen. But I do know if I have money in real estate or, or, or crypto, I do know where my money is going. And I do know how much is going to be worth. One Bitcoin is always going to be worth one Bitcoin. right? Um, the only reason why we're talking about Bitcoin being volatile is because we're pricing it against another uh, another asset. I'll even say that the reason that the price of Bitcoin goes up and down is because fiat's more volatile than Bitcoin because we print all this money and we don't know how to price Bitcoin against something that's super volatile. It's another interesting way of looking at volatility, um, Bitcoin versus dollars, uh, because stable coins are supposed to be stable, but I don't find the dollar to be stable at all. Anyway, some food for thought, but I do see that a spot ETF probably will get um, uh, uh, approved before the summertime. Not all. A lot of them will get approved towards the summertime. I do agree with you, though, this. If there is a stimulus coming out, it's not going to be now. It'll be a few months before the election happens. So people, that's fresh in people's mind. And the narrative through all the media channels, which are only, what, five or six in the US right now, won't be on that. And here's another cool fact that a lot of people um, have missed is that it's not just a president. It's not just the U.S. presidential election happening this year. There's 26 or 27 happening simultaneously across the globe. This is a global movement, and it's going to be crazy what happens. So there's going to be a lot of similar things that we're talking about happening in the U.S. happening in other countries. And if they're also putting stimulus, guess what? Currency is the same across all different jurisdictions or countries. Bitcoin. <laughs> I see this as a monstrous year for Bitcoin. Um, you know, I'm I'm sticking to my at least quarter million. Uh, you know, towards the end of the year. Um, again, not financial advice, but that's where I do see Bitcoin going, and I do see it with an upside of closer to, you know, 800k. You know, going into 2025. See, I love your theory more than I love my theory. So, um, <laughs> awesome. Love to share. Awesome. Um, so. You know, right now, let's talk about how that's going to affect the economy, right? Right now, you have companies out there that are developing premium offerings, right? And exp more expensive products, right? Um, so if that in the current world limits our buying power even more, 
and Bitcoin goes up to this astronomical price, you know, to how does that affect our ability to, to buy, you know, the expensive products and also staples? Are they going to be needed anymore? How's that going to affect the sustainability, you know, and regenerative offerings um, of the equation? Yeah. I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough question to answer mainly because there is a variable in there called social media and it depends on people, right? And their, and their, defensibility costs social media. And I'll give you my reasoning why. So if you're if you're looking at the economy this year, and I do agree, uh, there is a lot of businesses catering to luxury now. And there's a reason why. And it's a sound economic move for them. The income inequality in this country has gotten so far out of whack that 75% of the wealth is held in the top 5%. 24% of the wealth is held between percentage 95 and 50 of, of the population and the bottom 50% own half a percent of the wealth in this country. It's so crazy. Now, the good news is this usually self-corrects. The bad news is it usually self-corrects through feast and famine and, and, and revolution. <laughs> Historically, you know, going back to the Roman empire and everything like that. Um, there's a guy, uh, I forgot his first name, but professor Galloway, from Columbia University, I believe. Um, go look him up. Uh, he talks about this a lot. This is what he studies and teaches at, at Columbia. Uh, so I learned a lot from him. Uh, so this is my source on this income inequality and, and I mean, amongst others, but this is one of my primary sources. So when I started to understand that that was happening, um, in order to build a business, you know, you should need to go where the money is. And there is no money in the middle. The middle class doesn't exist anymore, right? And then even the ones below in the in the hat that own that they're living that's poverty, right? So they they're really having to rely on social systems in order to be able to survive, which also makes the government more favorable to them because now they get half of the population. Oh shit, yeah, we need more socialist uh, you know, uh, uh programs because I know I there's no way to make money. But really the issue is the government was enabling some of these things to happen. So I know that's not the question you asked, but I needed to set the foundation of that's where we are today is that our income inequality is so crazy that a lot of brands are building super luxury products that are super out of price for everybody. But it's like, they're all sold out. Like, yeah, it's not like I'm in the market to buy a Porsche or whatever, but like I hear for some friends, they're like, yeah, there's a two-year waiting list to get a Porsche. There's like a five-year waiting list to get Bugattis. And I'm like, where is this money coming from? Everybody is broke, right? And how are they sold out for five years? And it's like, okay, well, they're limiting supply. You know, this is monopoly type of thinking for companies, increasing prices that maximizes, you know, profits. Okay, fine. So what's going to happen to the rest of us? And what happens if Bitcoin hits 800K? So if Bitcoin hits 800K, if we're smart, we'll put that into other assets that will make us more money, such as cash flowing businesses. So look at businesses that are doing discounted cash flows, such as real estate, such as maybe other cryptocurrencies. If you know if you want to move out of Bitcoin into some other cryptocurrencies, and that could be you know a a uh, a, a pro and a con too, because then that could bring in a lot of scamming type of things because that's been happening. You know, this is a reality where we're at right now in, in the space. Um, or, or, or any precious metals or any other assets. Or if we're getting brainwashed enough by influencers on social media to be like, hey, you made all this money, go buy, um, go buy my NFT. 
of what does your NFT do? It's just, it's, you know, not picking on Logan Paul, but it's, hey, it's my NFT. And then people just lose their shit and they just go buy it, but there's no utility or any value behind it. In NFT, the only NFTs that have value in today's world, I'm just going to make it very simple for all the listeners out here. If you're looking to buy an NFT, there's only one type of NFT that has value. It's the only type of NFT you should be buying is a membership NFT. It gives you a membership into a certain program or offering that the company provides to you. So for instance, I have a board ape. Yeah, the board apes have gone down and up a lot in price or whatever, but it gives me one thing. It's a membership into their community. They, they throw concerts every year and I get invites that I don't have to pay for. Yeah, there's a possibility that they might not throw a concert one year and I have spend all that money and I don't get into that, right? So there is that part of it as well. But if it's a membership into something, great, that NFT has value because then I could say, hey, yes, I have this NFT and I get access to something because I pay for it. And if I don't want it, I know there's a market that someone else will come buy this NFT. So maybe they buy for more, maybe they buy for less, but I'm not buying it to make money. I'm buying it because it's giving me membership into something. If the NFT doesn't have that, don't buy it. It's really that simple, right? I don't care if it's Logan Paul or whatever. It could be Jesus Christ coming down from the heavens and saying, buy my NFT because it's my Jesus. Well, maybe that would actually sell for a lot of money because of all the Christian people would be like, oh, I need to have that NFT. But you get my you get my point. Um, so uh, so it depends on how, you know, uh, how strong we are in our mindset and our conviction to ensure we're protecting our family, our money, so we don't go spend the money on stupid shit. And I guarantee you that, the companies will be paying all the social media com uh, influencers and companies to promote consumerism. And hey, you made all this money, come spend it here. Be careful, protect yourself, spend on what you need. If you have a little extra cash and you want to go spend on buy something, hey man, like, you know, just go, go live your life and enjoy it. But ensure that you got that financial security for you and your family, first and foremost. I was going to ask you about, because you, you're talking about NFTs, about membership. Um, you have the board ABI club uh logo on Twitter, so or X or whatever. <laughs> so you answered it, thank you. Um, but it's it's interesting how you talk about DCF, how you talk this kind of cash flows. Because in my book, Regeneration X, which is like my second book, I have like 270 something now. Um, mm -hmm. I talk about how, how I talk about boomer economics, and I say, you know, this kind of cash flows have gone out the window. And the only way they're propping the stock price up is by reducing headcount and doing buybacks. Yeah. And that stock price higher. So why is it important to look at things from a DCF perspective? Yeah. Yeah. It does, I love this question and I love you even understood what I was saying, man. I, I man, it's been too long since I've been on this podcast with you. So okay. Here's fundamentals in building a business. And this has never changed is you build a business to make money. And the way you make money is through cash flow. And when you have cash flow, you could balance your checkbook and your PL. And if you can't do that, then you're always running at a loss. Now, something happened. I don't know when. Maybe it was Wall Street and stocks after you know getting off the gold standard. Maybe you could educate me after I say this too. I would love to hear a little bit from what your perspective is on this as well. But we've gotten away from DCF and we got into something called DAU, daily active users. And this is what... Wall Street and Silicon Valley loves and covets. Think about Facebook. Think about Amazon. Amazon was not profitable for 15 years or 10 years or something like that. Facebook wasn't profitable at all. But the only thing that all of these Silicon Valley VCs, venture capitalists, private equity or stock market you know, um, gurus or traders were talking about is daily active users, right? So they started seeing, and maybe maybe I'm going to answer my own question because I never thought about it this way. So thanks for an amazing question that gets my mind working. Data, daily active users equals data. Data equals 
ability to influence people to do certain things that they don't want to necessarily do, which is also spending the discretionary income on stupid shit they don't need, right? Consumerism. How many people have stuff that they throw by and they saw something on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and now it's in their drawer, they threw it away a lot. You want to talk about the corp carbon footprint? You know, as some, I'm going to make a joke here. They're well, it's not a joke. They're actually putting this on CNN that breathing is causing, you know, our, our, um, Climate change. And I was like, what? This is the most ridiculous thing. Not all the stupid shit that we're buying and selling on Instagram that people are buying and then throwing it away or one-time use that they're throwing away. All that factory time and shipping and everything we're doing for those products. No one's talking about those, but we're talking about breathing. Are you serious? Anyway, so we've gotten so infatuated with DAUs and DAUs cause one thing. If everybody had DAUs in a decentralized way, that daily active user data is worthless. DAUs are only worth anything if they're centralized into a big pot so I could run big regressions and big analysis and data scientist models on one big pile of data. So that's why we're seeing Facebook and Google and Amazon trying to accumulate all this data, right? And then all of this data turns into ways that they could figure out how to monetize, but they still haven't really fully figured it out. Yeah, you know, Facebook and Google and all these companies are becoming profitable, but they've also seen some dips, especially Facebook. Now with cancel culture, what happened to Disney losing so much market share because you said the right wrong thing or whatever, it's becoming a very toxic way of making money. Whereas if you go back to the fundamentals of building a business, hey, this is cash out. This is cash in. At the end of the month, I have this amount of money. I will then build my business around how much money I have. And then I'm from top of that. I will build my lifestyle around how much money I have that. No one could ever take that away from you. Right. And we're moving away from that model because of DAU, Silicon Valley. I don't know. Like maybe you could give me some insight into that too. But if you want to build a business, and I truly believe this, I tell this to all my friends, all my mentees build a business around discounted cash flows. If you talk to customers first and you understand what they're looking for, you will cash flow from day one. Or maybe you have to invest some money, owner's equity, to get something going to build something, and you, you'll hit profitability within six months. This whole thing about taking 10 years, first of all, you know, I, you know, the Bezos, Musk, and all these people, a lot of people are idolizing. They had some people in the know. It's not a meritocracy anymore. It's a lot about nepotism. My uncle know this. I did this. I mean, I hate to say this too, but hey, there was a sexual favor here or there that happened to, between some people. So hey, I'm gonna take you back. Or whatever. I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna give you more money. Like how 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 do people get access to more money than other people? Right. It, it's not based on merit because if it was, I think we will see a different landscape of how things were today. And and we're 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 idolizing the wrong things. We're idolizing things that are not based on fundamentals, like building discounted cash flows. But um, if you're building a business, focus on cash in, cash out. Regress that over the course of a year. Look at the time value of money. Um, you know these are all good terms for y'all to understand. Um, there are formulas on websites for free that you could just type in stuff. So you don't even need to be an expert or economist or go to school to understand any of this stuff. But that's just my take. Love to hear yours, Jamil, on DCF and DAUs and when we started getting off the DCF um, standard and what caused it. Well, I start I, I stopped fighting this fight, you know, but started in 2012. There was a set there was a couple of sections that were buried in the Dodd-Frank Act. One on executive comp and one on board of director selections. Oh, I already and love this. <laughs> the only industry that was not that went unaffected during all of COVID, during everything, was the was the board of director appointments of corporate America. They went off without a hitch. 
Um, and there was a lot of nepotism there. And there was a lot of fraud in the proxy statements of people saying that they have skills and abilities that they don't have. Right. Mm-hmm. They were chosen to be on the boards. So that's one. The executive comp part rewarded executives for cutting people's pensions and creating the greater disparity between worker pay and executive pay. The greater the pay, the greater the executive parachutes. That threw the DCF out the window and laid off, the companies laid off people left and right. Go to the layoff. Look at 2017 and 18. And you'll see people left and right being laid off of corporate America, replaced by younger workers who didn't know any better. And that's where we're at today. You know, so. Wow. Yeah. I, I truly believe that. That makes total sense to me, man. So, yeah. yeah. But I stopped fighting the fight. I'm like, I have other things to fight over, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, and my voice wasn't being heard. And even social media drowned out. And I'm like, look at a social media and people are following people with no experience or skills or whatsoever. And they're like, buy this. Oh, okay. You know, and, and they do. But, um, you know, but the important thing is, you know, and I want to ask you and, and you know, how, you know, it's a, how we create our own worlds, right? How do you think, that we can create our own worlds that align with our own ideals and then build that for ourselves going forward? Oh, a great question. This has been my, my main, uh, uh, my main objective in 2023 was to design the life I want and not the life that the media, the government, my parents, my friends, or anybody else wanted to build for me. So uh, I'm going to butcher this quote, but I kind of remember it. I'm going to say it. If you remember, please correct me. Is um, I wanted to be smart, so I tried to change the world, but then I decided to be wise, so I decided to change myself. I think it's a Rumi quote. And basically what he was saying is that um, if I want to design the life I want and I want to do great grand things and I want to change the world instead of changing the world. And I've been, and I'm, and I've been there before, you know, as an entrepreneur, Hey, I genuinely want to go change the world and make it a better place and, you know, make money from that too. Um, but you have to step into that person that you want to become in order for anything else to change. And then on top of that, the more people you want to change, the more difficult it's going to become. So for me, like here's, here's, here's what's been happening for me in 2023. I have been focusing on local communities a lot more than I have been focusing on all this noise that's happening in the globe. It's been happening. You know, my heart goes out to everybody in Palestine and Israel, but that's happening there. Everything that's happening in Europe or Asia or whatever, like I am tuning all of that out and I am focusing on my current life, my community and my local businesses and my local community that are around me. Yeah. Now we live kind of in a global world. So like, you know, my parents live in a different town than I live in. So like, yeah, I'm still connected and stay in contact with them, but I am still focusing more with the people that are around me and spending more time in real life with those people. Um, a couple of reasons. Uh, the first thing is, um, you get, you get more out of life through experiences and relationships than anything else. And th- that might be an anecdotal um, you know, uh, experience for myself, but I find that you get more fulfillment out of life through relationships and experiences and the relationships and experiences come through people in real life around you in the city or area that you live in. And spending more time there rather than behind computers or, you know, trying to code, you know, build tech or take a bunch of video conferencing calls. Um, you know, there's one element I really enjoy you, Jamil. I really do. 
um, I think you're a great, uh, you know, uh, thought leader in the space and the ways, in the way you think, you know, all the books you publish and everything you've mentioned, I think you're, you're asking the right questions and it's thought provoking. And I think that's what this country really needs. Um, I still wish we were able to kind of see each other in person and I feel your energy because I'm not, you don't get that from a screen. There, there is humans are social creatures and we get more of that. So for me, it's been more about, um, rather than trying to expand and go out, right. I'm trying to, come in. Um, a lot of people are raced to a hundred, right? And for you math nerds out there, as X approaches a hundred, it will never approach a hundred. You'll get to 99.99999, but there's theories around that. I'm trying to go to zero. <laughs> I'm going in the opposite direction where everybody's going. Everybody's trying to chase the Ferrari and the billions of dollar houses or whatever like that, but I'm just trying to have a fulfilling life with relationships and experiences. And yeah, if I end up with a Ferrari or house or whatever, big house, great. If I don't, great. Whatever happens, great. It's an experience. I'm just very happy to be able to spend my time because there is nothing money. Time is now and money can't buy now. Um, your attention can buy now. So put your attention into the present, spend your time now, spend it with the people that you love, uh, spend it um, with uh, people around you. You get more fulfillment out of that. And that through that, I find that my work becomes better and I've been able to make more income that way as well. When I'm just localizing myself, it's easier to think through things. It's not so intimidating. It's not so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, anxiety driven. Like when I'm, when I'm thinking, I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, I got to think globally and I got to do this and there's regulation here. It's so much anxiety oversets. And here, I'm going to, I'm going to show you, I have my wallet here, but um, I'm glad you asked this. I literally created note cards for myself um, about what my what I want to do. So I have one for my meditation, my mantras, how I want to program myself, how much money I want to make. The first thing I see here, let me read you my first thing. Because a lot of people say, oh, I want a billion dollars. I want to sell my company. No, no. I am generating $700,000 a month in income. I'm a wealth magnet. Money comes to me. So I am prioritizing um, building discounted cash flows for myself, right? Um, the second thing is I am living in my paid off Waterview house. Like I don't want debt. I don't want to have a mortgage. I don't want to, that's another way, that's another form of slavery for me, right? I am proud of the homes I own free and clear, right? I am choosing the best friends and family, meaning that everything's a choice in life. You know, even though if you don't like some of the family members, you, they're still your family, you still respect them, but you could choose to spend your time and give them your energy or not, right? So choose the energy of, that you want to spend for friends and family that you want. I am grateful for spending time with them, right? So is this, rem, I remind myself what the goal is at hand, this kind of cash flows. I don't care about having billions of dollars in the bank. As long as it's the life I want, I could have $5, $5 million, or $50 million in the bank. But if I'm living the life I want the way I want, it doesn't really matter to me. Not really. So to me, that is this kind of cash flow. Money come in, money goes out. And I balance my budget within my means of what I could say. And you know, I set a pretty high bar for myself to get to 700 k um, But you know, whatever the number is for you, you know, whether it's 50 k a month, 10 k a month, a million dollars a month, whatever is going to make you feel happy to live the type of life you want and do the things you want to do, set that number, go after it. Nothing could stop you um, except for yourself. And the one thing I'll say is it takes time. Everybody wants to be patient, right? But they want to be a billion dollar uh, company now or billionaire now. If you, if I just gave you a billion dollars, yeah, you'll be happy you have a billion dollars. But guess what? You don't have patience. This is what we're losing. So, a lot of people, please understand that I've been in this entrepreneur journey since 2014, right? I'm still not 
in a place where I have to financial security, driving Ferraris, Lambos, or anything along those lines. But I love where I'm at. I love what I'm doing. I love the person I'm becoming. And I'm, I'm going to continue on doing it. And I'm getting better year over year over year. And at some point, I'm going to hit that pinnacle. And I kind of started, you know, again, I wasn't clear with my intentions of what I wanted. I, yeah, I know I wanted to make a lot of money and build a company that's super successful and, and touch a lot of lives and make lives better for a lot of people and help other people make a lot of money. But you got to become very clear of what you want and write it down. And that last year has helped me a lot to get to where I am right now, writing down those goals. So um, if anybody's out there, write them down. Keep them in a place where you could see them over and over again. It doesn't have to be anything crazy with a bunch of pictures or whatever, but just write it down. Remember what, you, what you're in here to do. And if something doesn't serve you, say no. The faster you say no to things that don't serve you, the faster that things that in life that will serve you will start showing up. Meaning that if I'm giving all my energy and attention into something that's not making the type of income I want, that's not giving me the type of relationship I want, but I keep on engaging in that energy, the universe doesn't know any better. They won't give you something new. There's only so much energy exchange you could do. Say no to things that don't serve you and it will open up energy bandwidth for you to bring in new things into your life. This is the best thing I could tell you and how I've been able to steered the ship for ShopX over the past three years, even through this crypto bear market and still survive and get to where I'm at right now and really be excited for 2024. I don't even think I need to ask you how you look, how you dropped the ego you just told me. Yeah. So thank you. Um, I want to thank you very much for your conversation with me today. I, I love talking to you. We got to do this again soon in the three years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have one last question. And this is easy, probably easiest one is, is this is, how can people find out more information about you, about ShopX, about what you do? How can they do that? Yeah, uh, yeah, very easy question. Thanks, man, for the for the slam dunk at the end. Uh, yeah, so please uh, follow me. I'm Cyrus Kind, C Y R U S K I N D, on all socials, IG, Twitter, whatever it is. Uh, and ShopX is at ShopX S O H P X Labs L A B S on all the socials. Um, follow us. Uh, I put out content, uh, updates, um, monthly. I'm going to be actually increasing that. That's one of the things going into 2024. I was like, all right, I need to, I need to up my content game. So you'll have content every week. I'll, I'll, I'll take my hot takes kind of like what we did right now and what's happening in the economy. I'll be talking about what's happening with ShopX. So there's something there rather than just me shilling my own company. It's not about that, but it's about, Hey, how can we use technology to prevent big tech from, um, you know, overtaking our lives and deciding deciding how we get to live our lives and taking more ownership of that. And it's not for everybody, uh, but if you're ready and if you're open and, and you're ready to kind of take the next step, love to have you on the journey. And I'm always available and send me a DM. I talk to everybody. I really, I, like, I genuinely respond to every, that, I, I, I forgot who that was, whether it was Steve Jobs or somebody. I remember reading it, somebody I really looked up to. Um, Maybe it was Neil deGrasse Tyson and and Carl Sagan. I think it was Carl Sagan, actually. So maybe not in business. He took the time to respond to everybody. And 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 through that, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson actually got to meet Carl Sagan because he responded to him. And that's how Neil deGrasse Tyson became a world-renowned physicist, is because somebody reached out to him when he had aspirations and said, Hey. I love I love what you're thinking. Keep on going at it, and and that had a big effect. So, um, you know, if I could have that effect on somebody, even one person is great. I've already had a few. There's a lot of people have actually messaged me about it, but paid for it. I love to do it. Hope to talk to you guys, and appreciate you, Jamil, for having me on here. And hopefully, let's do it. Let's do it more than more than th every three years. I'll come back later this year or next year. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, man.